When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This week's episode of Die Hard on a Blank is brought to you by the London Action Film Festival, taking place in London from Wednesday the 21st to Sunday the 25th of June this year. Last year's festival featured legendary figures from the film world, including John McTiernan, Simon West, and Corin Hardy, plus many more. This year's festival promises to be bigger and bolder. Tickets are available via the website London Action Festival. Welcome to Die Hard on a Blank, the podcast where we explore the influence of Die Hard on action cinema, one action movie at a time. I'm Philip Cawthorn, and with me as always is Liam Billingham, and today's film is Under Siege. It's Die Hard on a Battleship. Phil, can we talk about how professional of a podcaster I am? Whilst you were doing that, I almost took a sip of my coffee, and then I was going to be like, "Let's Your timing is immaculate, immaculate timing, almost as good as the timing as our friend Steven Seagal, the greatest actor, one of the most technically gifted thespians in the history of cinema. First of all, what's your personal history with uh, with this bad boy? You know. I've seen this is okay. For context, this is we've what done eleven or twelve movies at this point. This is the one I almost didn't have to rewatch because mm-hmm. I've seen it so many times. I don't know. I remember the first time I saw this movie with my dad uh, on VHS. I remember my mom being in the room for the cake scene and feeling incredibly awkward. Yep. Um, and then we owned it on VHS. This movie was on. All the time. It was a Bill Billingham, my dad favorite. Yep. Um, and then I remember it sort of started a bit of a love affair with Steven Seagal for him as an act, to be clear, as an actor in movies, right. not as a human being, which, not which in real life. might be some questionable. Uh, <laughs> anyway, but I remember we then went and saw On Deadly Ground in the movie theater together. Which did you sit through the entire film? We sat through the whole thing. Wow. I mean, that's what you did That You know, nobody's leaving early. It was like an $8 summer movie kind of deal. And then we definitely saw Under Siege 2, colon, Dark Territory, subtitle, Eric Bogosian Forever, together, uh, the night it opened. So it began wow. a bit of a... That wow. probably... I think my relationship with Steven Seagal coincided with the golden age of Steven Seagal, which was very Which was brief. this movie? Yeah, with this movie. And, that, and, that was and it? like... Kind of a little bit after because he had a little bit of traction. But I don't think he's the reason this movie is uh, No, my What's I, yours? I, this movie works in spite of Steven Seagal, in my opinion. No, I think it, we'll get into it, but it might be his best performance. 
by like a mile. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, this is what happens, I think, when you have a really muscular director that with a sh with a sure hand. And of course, they'd actually collaborated before on a on a real piece of shit called uh, Above the Law from 1988. Which <laughs> a is real piece watchable. of shit, Reeves. Phil Goddard. I'm just gonna stop pulling punches. Like, I, I, like you, I've had so little sleep Wait, so these I got, days. I got, I got the line. I got the line. Son. I got the line. I'm not pulling punches <laughs> yeah. anymore. So, so above the law. Yeah. Um, so which now, was... now you probably your favorite movie of the last thirty. Woo. It's the Citizen Kane. You believe you called it the Citizen Kane of action films? Is that correct? I believe I did not call it that. The um, Citizen Kane of action films. It just is one. Essentially, those films are indistinguishable. Like about four films that he made um, prior to this one. Above the Law was the first one, which was directed by Andrew Davis, as was this movie. So a really good director. Um, out for, uh, Mark for out Death, for Hard to Kill, Out for Justice, all ugly urban nightmares. Um, where I remember he plays the trailer. With ridiculous names, just doing, you know, dull thuggery in these tedious slogs. You right. Know? And, and I love action movies, and I cannot get through these films. Mark for Death, I remember particularly seeming like it was like probably now would, would what then would have been edgy and is now probably like problematic culturally in a lot of ways. Like right. I just remember, I, just, I remember my. Not watch. I've, I've, pro I've probably seen a few of those films, but I remember. I don't know which one it is, but there's one. I remember watching one with my dad, where like he's driving along and these guys throw a bag out a window, and the Stephen Scott opens the bag and it's a there's a dog in it, and like oh, clearly the gosh. idea is that the dog's supposed to get run over or something, and he saves the dog. But I remember my dad being like, "What is this? Like, That's what's what the, I'm talking yeah. about in terms of the tone of those movies are so oppressively bleak, and they kind of wallow in uh, this ugly urban nihilism to the point that they're just not enjoyable movies to watch in my opinion now obviously he's a skilled martial artist and you know in his defense you could say he has he has a kind of low-key charisma and he offered something new at that time right you had each of these the iconic action stars at that time kind of had their, yeah. their their own niche their own brand Stallone Schwarzenegger Willis uh, Van Damme was sort of new on the scene Norris Jackie is kind Chan. of fading out Jackie Chan they all had that, a different kind of flavor and a different edge yeah. and I guess he had he offered something that was unique at a time when action cinema was really popular especially internationally well not to sound ridiculous we've been making jokes about how he talks like this but it's like he's there's a little bit of like I'm not comparing it but there's like a little bit of Clint Eastwood in some of the kind of like man with no name delivery like very stoic N not not at all comparable in terms of quality but you can sort of feel him doing the same level of like well he tries to deadpan he acting. kind of underplays but there are yes. certain actors that have can underplay and, and still are magnetic, such mm -hmm. as Clint Eastwood or Correct. James Spader, for example. I think of like someone that can whisper. Welcome to Spader Cast. That the is something I want. Funny you bring that up. I want to talk. I actually have a pitch for you. Oh, God. <laughs> so there's a iguana, <laughs> right? right? Yeah, and he's exactly. friends with James Spader. Exactly. Uh, I I saw this as a rental as well. Probably about yeah. 90, this came out in ninety two, maybe ninety two, ninety three. Had no relationship with Seagal, uh, but you know, particular or no particular interest in him. Um, liked it, but didn't kind of like, it was like, yeah, it was, it was fine. It was a little, I don't know. It was whatever. As the years have gone by, I've come back to it again and again and grown to absolutely love mm -hmm. this movie, mm -hmm. mainly because of the incredible villains and Andrew Davis's direction and various other things yeah. that we'll talk about. But it isn't because of, uh, Seagal, even though to be fair, he is he he works in this film. He really does. I, he does work in this movie. It's the best. It's unquestionably the best. The, his best performance. The best thing that he's ever done by by some distance. If you haven't seen Under Siege, 
well, we're eight eight or nine minutes in here, so like maybe you should watch Under Siege. I don't know what what you're but doing. Why don't I give it, put it in a little bit of context with why our don't top we do line some fact top check. line fact yeah. check about the film Under Siege? So Under Siege was released by Warner Brothers in the U.S. on October 9th, nineteen ninety two, which was approximately four months after our last film, Patriot Games, which was released June fifth of that year. And four years after Die Hard, which of course came out in the summer of 1988. It was directed by Andrew Davis, produced by Arnon Milchan, Stephen Reuther, and Seagal himself. Um, it stars Stephen Seagal, Tommy Lee Jones, Gary Busey, and Erica Eleniak. Now, the film was a spec script written by J.F. Lawton that was originally titled Dreadnought, and it sold for Ooh. $1 million. On an estimated budget of 35 million, this film grossed 156.6 million. Was it worth paying that writer $1 million in pre-tax, pre-commission money in 1992 <laughs> to the guy that created, conceived, and crafted and researched this entire piece of work out of thin air for a film that then grossed $156.6 million? I would suggest that it was. Mm -hmm. yeah, Wonder I wonder why I'm bringing that I up. I can't imagine. Phil, should we get into our diehard DNA? Yes. Oh, sorry. Yes, our, we should. Our, our Dahar <laughs> DNA. Now, this is one of the early, one of the best and earliest Die Hard on a Blanks. Now, for all the Steven Seagal heads or the Battleship heads or the Andrew Davis heads who are discovering this podcast for the first time, what does the term Die Hard on a Blank mean? Um, yeah, so Die Hard on a Blank is cultural or industry shorthand for any film using this particular Storytelling paradigm of bad guys take over a blank, um, a toilet, uh, an ice cream factory. An iguana uh, store. <laughs> it's a classic die hard on a blank premise. Um, in fact, uh, Michael Wilmington's review in the LA Times described the film as die hard on a battleship. And that quote was later used in the marketing. So now that was literally being commodified and... Um, it's like actually into, a term that people yeah, are using exactly. as a shorthand to be exactly. like, oh, it's die hard on a... Blank. I died in the toilet. I can't believe that was the first one you <laughs> so, came up with. Um, yeah, so in this case, a group of mercenaries take over the USS Missouri battleship, and it's up to ex-Navy SEAL-turned-ship's cook Casey Ryback to stop them. Now, with the help of Playboy Playmate Jordan Tate. Miss July 1989, mm -hmm. which was actually Erica Alaniac's month right. in Playboy. Right, so there's a little meta thing going on Thank there. you very much, Amazon X-Ray Notes, uh -huh. for giving... I really like those X-Ray Notes. Those are really, really helpful. Uh, not only, though, is he a cook, he's also a seal, which yes. Gary Busey finds in his personal file. I love in an action movie when someone finds somebody's personal file midway through and they're like, this guy is actually the greatest hero who's ever lived. But this was one of the first times, I think, where we had, like, now that's become such a trope, like, he's an ex-Green Beret and he's an ex-Navy mm -hmm. SEAL. This was actually one of the first films to have that because McLean didn't have that. Backstory, Which is what right? makes it distinguished and diehard is right. he's like an, an everyman. This we're sort of it's interesting, you know, to track this as we've been doing on this podcast to see how these characters evolve away from the McLean model. Yeah, this actually, yeah, it takes it evolves it. It creates this idea of um, a guy kind of hiding in plain sight with a backstory that he has all of these elite skills. Other 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 comparisons are he's an insubordinate hero, right? Who has a problem with authority again, very much like McLean. Notice how the uh, the terrorist attack in the middle of a party mm. featuring shitty red 
punch cocktails, which I which <laughs> look delicious. Do they look delicious? Or they I want to like, be at that party. I have like a even headache. if the, even if the terrorists did attack, I think it would still be quite a lot of fun. Maybe I'm a little concerned about like I like the bail jump. The vibe on an all male ship when there's like a Playboy model, like it's just got yeah, a, that, it's got that, a stink is, on there. It just doesn't seem that appealing. Maybe I was going to come to the sexual politics, which <laughs> have not aged great. Why would you think? But in another way, weren't even were uh, like 50 years out of date at the time. You yeah, there's a <laughs> like, lot of here's one move. What? There's some rough stuff in yikes. this. In this. Um, it also plays with status and class, I think, in the same way. Like, the high-status uh, characters are all jerks, but the lower-status characters mm. sort of in the ship's galley, the kind of blue-collar heroes, again, very much like Die Hard, how we've talked about how uh, the uh, quote-unquote lower-status characters in Die Hard are exalted by the end of the movie. Such That's as, interesting. Um, the chauffeur, um, you know, Al uh, Powell, Powell. Um, uh, obviously McLean himself, um, and so forth. Um, yeah, I've kind of forgotten watching this that the, he he gets a little ragtag group together, like the the uh, the guy who does la- I do laundry right. that guy, and then a few of the other sort of like deep non commissioned officers yeah. or whoever they yeah. happen to be. To uh, so to there's do that, that there's that kind of class politics sort of, sort of subtle aspect. The one exception being the ship's captain uh, J T Adams, who's played by Patrick O'Neill, who's kind of like the Takagi of uh, mm. uh, of this piece, right? He's noble. Um, he's decent. He cares about his um, his sort of subordinates. He, he he even says like, "Oh, it's not for me. It's for the crew." He's actually quite attuned to them. And of course, he's one of the first ones killed, just like Takagi in uh, in Die Hard. Huh. Um, I no, did not. That's a good connection. He's also rocking the tank top. I don't know if you caught that one. Um, he's rocking a green tank top. That's right. He is wearing a green. tank I mean, top. it goes on and on. Of course, Ryback's an expert improviser. He's using guerrilla tactics, improvised explosive devices. At one point, Tommy Lee Jones says. Happy Trails. Don't know if you caught that one. I did not catch that. What um, is that? It's when he fires the nukes towards the end. He's, he flicks, flips oh, the switch right. and says, Happy Trails. God, I know we're going to Tommy Lee Jones in this movie. We're going to get there. Woo! And also, um, this movie features Irish actor Cole Meany. Yeah. Last seen playing the a British pilot in the saddest plane crash the in the history of movies. Uh, Windsor Flight 114. Yeah. Die Hard um, 2. So we have some Die Hard 2 DNA. The other thing I was going to say about the last point on the Die Hard DNA that I thought was interesting was this film actually had a direct impact on the Die Hard franchise because it delayed production of a planned third Die Hard film. Um, there How was, did that um, happen? So there was a concept for Die Hard 3 at one point that was born out of a, another spec script called Troubleshooter, which was about a cruise ship taken over by terrorists. And ultimately that idea was deemed too similar to Under Siege and the script underwent uh, several rewrites before ultimately becoming Die Hard with a Vengeance, but Die Hard with a Vengeance does have some scenes on a ship. Oh, it does. That's it. right. So I don't know if that if they were like leftovers from. Well, well, you know. The, well, well, you'd know better we'll never, than me, but we'll it does know. feel like the Die Hard scripts, in particular, particularly the first three. I can't really speak to the four and five. They're an amalgamation of a lot of different things, right? Like. Die Hard's based on a book. Die Hard 2 is also based on a yes. book. And then Die Hard 3 was a spec script called Simon Says. Yes. Right? Yeah, that then yeah. kind of, and then so it they, clearly. I think Die Hard 3 in particular is, is somewhat of a Frankenstein project, which kind of shows in the third act, which was heavily, heavily Oh, re-shot. I can't wait to talk about the third act yeah. of that movie because. Yeah, anyway. So Under Siege, as well as being uh, inspired by Die Hard, actually had a direct impact uh, on, the, on the series itself. Boy, you know a lot, sure know a lot about Die Hard, Phil. We do try to provide a service. Speaking of knowing a lot about Die Hard, we should get into the anatomy of an action movie, which is a a, a project of your own design where we where we compare the film Die Hard 
to the film that we're talking about on any given week of the show. And we have several tenants. We live in a Twilight world that we use to compare I, I, these. Do I need to start saying, but there are no friends at dusk? Or yeah. is... Oh, please, you have to start <laughs> saying it. That's so, so good. Ah, uh, tenant. Okay, so the tenants for our anatomy of an action movie are the premise, the ticking clock, the heroes, the villains, the action, the 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 category that we've added, the lady, which also plays in with the humor. I feel like there should be some Tom Jones music playing every time that you say the lady. The lady. <laughs> like like She's whoa, a lady. whoa, whoa. <laughs> Anyone? Can anyone do a bad uh, guys, Tom guys, Jones? Guys, Mike, <laughs> quick little Tom yeah. Jones cover. Put you, Our producer, the, put you on the he's, spot. He's shaking his head. He's shaking his head. Oh, he's Let's turning pipe red. Piping some Tom Jones. Piping some. Whoa, whoa, whoa! She's a lady. Very good. That should be the song that plays when he kicks the cake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they missed a trick. Okay. So very briefly. The premise. The premise. Yeah. A yeah. group of mercenaries take over the USS Missouri, and it's up to ex-Navy SEAL and current chef Casey Ryback to stop them. Pretty good premise. Great premise. Great location. Absolutely. Great um, great production Did value. Did they shoot on a battleship? Yeah. Like yeah. the whole movie? Yeah. So yeah. like it's not a set. Those no. aren't sets. They did it in uh, Mobile, Alabama, I believe is where, where it was shot. Uh, Have you ever been on a battleship? A real one? Uh, maybe like once in New York when it was like by the harbor, but no. I mean, I grew up in New England, so it was a lot of like you know, like old style ships, uh, kind of like pilgrim ships or whatever. That's I didn't grow up with any of the military stuff. Have you? Uh, there's the USS Iowa is um, is more down in San Pedro, not too far. Oh, from really? Us, which was an active World War II battleship. So I have I have been on it. I have a friend. My friend Adam is a real uh, World War II buff, and we went down there together. He loves all that. He's a big history buff. And it's interesting going on them because they're so um, they're they're gigantic, but the actual quarters are so cramped. Yeah, you know, fantastic arena for cat and mouse mayhem. You know, oh, we great, could do a whole series setting. about ship and I mean, we kind of are ship and submarine movies and yeah. how and how you know how important that is to like making something feel uh, real. And you know, yeah, it's a real a real asset to this movie that it plays out in dark. Yeah. rooms that are really tight and, you know, the gunfire sound. And the contrast so of that and the sense of scale, you know, uh, is it's just like, it's just a great, it's a great setup. It's a great concept and very it well looks, researched. It I looks thought, really well. good. Yeah, it, it looks magnificent. I mean, from the beginning, the word I was thinking of when I thought how this film begins with the music and those shots was like, this is a strident opening. This yeah. is a confident opening. They even managed to get that dolphin to do a little uh, dive in front the of the- great uh... dolphin stunt work in this movie. <laughs> like kind of amazing. Kind of a hero of the movie, Can that Can you dolphin. imagine now being like, we got to get a shot of the dolphin. I don't think any studio would be like, we're going to get a dolphin trainer for three seconds in the movie, but it is, it really makes an impression. Yeah, like, it's just such a cool beginning. Which it's a great moment to shout out Andrew Davis. Classic Chicago guy. This movie is filled with Chicago actors. How's your Chicago accent? Not not good. No? Should I give it a Da Bears. Da Bears. <laughs> That's about all it, right? All his Chicago, and he finds the most Chicago guys to be yeah, in all yeah. of his a couple movies. Yeah, a couple of them pop up. The guy who, like, wanders down and is like, okay, we got the Twinkies. Uh, where's Miss July? <laughs> yeah. And then he gets shot in the And then they the, shoot him in like, the leg. Which what? I'm sort of happy about, because he came across as a bit of an old grosso. Yeah, he's a grosso. <laughs> That's for sure. But he's, he's one gross. of the cops in The Fugitive. In the great. Um, when I came home, there was a man in my house 
yeah. guy. I think he might have been a real Chicago cop. So he is, and just as a note, the other actor in that scene, whose name escapes me, is a great Chicago actor who plays the bartender in The Dark Knight years later, and that film shot in Chicago. So like, right. I like that there are these character actors who probably are like well-known in theater scenes there that like pop up for a few lines in action movies or films shot in Chicago or, or wherever it happens to be. This is like a good character actor movie. It is, actually. it is. Those, and those two guys who play the two cops who interrogate Harrison Ford in The Fugitive play almost identical characters, although they do have different names, in The Package, uh, which was Andrew Davis's film that he made before this from 1989 starring Gene Hackman, which is a great Cold War uh, conspiracy I like thriller. the package. I haven't seen it in a long time. I think it's a. I think it's a great movie. So the ticking clock in this film is an interesting one. Um, essentially, it's uh, can Ryback and and the uh, accomplices that he's managed to wrangle together take out these terrorists before they launch uh, the nukes that they're stealing. But one of the things I, that occurred to me that I thought was kind of interesting about this movie was it kind of bridges the gap between Die Hard and The Rock. A lot of the mm. a lot of the same beats are repeated, especially with the scenes where like the military command are debating how to respond. Yeah. Um, and fun fact, one of those one of the guys in the film who plays, uh, you know, when he goes, uh, send Kate, send Ziggs. Yeah. Right to go and uh, get uh, Segal out. One of, the of those meat guys locker. is in the Rock. That's right. Ziggs he's, is he's, in the Rock. Yeah, he's uh, he's General Peterson in the Rock. Which he's one's one of General the guys Peterson? Who's like they're debating whether to use the thermite plasma. Yes. But it's all the same stuff basically. They're like, should do we? You're weighing up the cost of an airstrike against the lives of these hostages mm. versus the calculus of missiles being fired on a civilian population. So and it's interesting that this film, it does kind of, uh, it's almost like a stepping stone between um, Die Hard and The Rock. A lot of the same uh, elements feature Not in The Rock. Not to mention, it sort of bridges, and we can get into this when we talk about the, the, the heroes, like if Die Hard features like a political terrorist masquerading as political, this film features apolitical military figures masquerading kind of as political, but also kind of gonzo and absurdist, but disgruntled yeah. figures of the larger state, of, um, state apparatus. We'll get into it in the villain thing, but they almost seem to have a kind of apocalyptic view of where it's almost, they're almost at the point where they're just like, fuck it. It's you not tried to kill me, you son yeah. of a bitch. So, so welcome, welcome to, to the, the revolution. revolution. I was wondering, is it, uh, can we tap the mic in yeah, the way we, that, he, that he does? You can do it. Yeah, you can do it. That's fine. That's nothing bad's going to happen. I love how polite he is as well, where he's like, he's like, um, uh, Bill, this is Tom Breaker from the CIA. He's like, oh, hi, hi Tom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. He's amazing. Just, but we'll get to I it. We'll get to it. Yeah, no, we're, yeah, we're, right we're chomping so at the bit uh, to get uh, to Tommy Lee Tommy Jones. Tommy Lee. Okay. He's incredible. Should we talk about the hero? Let's talk about the hero. That's not, I'm going too far with it now. It's going to be, hey, give me one more. Let me get another one. Let's talk about the hero. That's closer. Yeah, that's, that's closer. Good. It's like a four instead of an eight. One of the things I think is interesting about uh, this performance and why it works better than his previous films is because Segal is usually such a cold actor. Yeah. Right? But he has a bit of warmth in this one and even a bit of humor, especially yeah. in the earlier uh, scenes. With cue ball. Yeah. I by the way, hot take. Can cue ball actually dance? Because I watched that scene closely this morning. That's a weird and scene. And I could dance better than that. Yeah, and no, I'm a I've terrible dancer. No, you're a really good dancer. Don't say that about yourself. <laughs> I think you're great. No, that's a weird scene also because it sort of implies that maybe Seagal is like Cajun. He's kind of talking about like being from Louisiana a little bit. And like they didn't, there, there's no di real dialogue in that scene. It's kind of, it's a, it's a strange scene 
where they're trying to. It's almost like the Spielberg scenes of, of like ET, of like or, or dare I say it, Robert Altman of like overlapping improvised dialogue you know, you from an that. ensemble. Yeah, but like that's but a that's, big... a, that's Andrew Davis's like. Mm. You feel like that's him kind of getting those guys to just like riff and have fun and maybe like one of them was Cajun and they were taking a shot at him or whatever. It does right? a lot for it's the really movie. It's really good. It does. It's really effective. And I think one thing it does is it establishes Ryback as like a man of the people. Yes. Like, you know, he doesn't run, uh, one of the things that it does a good job of is setting him in opposition to like the shitty uh, commissioned officers who come down and are like, yeah. Mr. Ryback, cut it out or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and like, <laughs> That was a phenomenal Glenn Moore shower. <laughs> Thank you so much. I, that guy, that's a that's a classic that guy, that guy. Yeah, yeah. But like it does a good job of establishing him as that and it and it creates this warmth and the actors around him, Raymond Cruz yes. especially, yeah. who will then appear as a special forces guy in every movie of mm -hmm. the 90s. Um invented they, the man bun. Invented in the, rock. the man I don't know. Ooh, that's a good yeah, maybe he did. But there's this sort of like you like you like Seagal more because Davis, who we haven't shout, shouted out enough, who re really is great, puts actors around him who elevate Seagal and he cuts reactions and, and and gets, you know, things out of him as an actor that work really, really well. Uh, originally, Stagall wanted to co-direct this movie oh, with the gosh. director of Hard to Kill, whose name escapes me. And I just, they they got lucky that Andrew Davis did this movie because he's a real he's a real actor's director, I think. He's brilliant. He's got a real sense for for pacing, scale, um, you know, imagery, actors. He's, you know, no pun intended, but he's the whole package, right? And yeah. Andrew Davis, real, especially at this moment in his career, this was an interesting kind of Tommy Lee Jones trilogy of The Package, Under Siege, and um, uh, The Fugitive. Which may be one of the 10 greatest movies of the 90s. And really helped turn Tommy Lee Jones from a, a phenomenal actor into a movie star. Yeah. You know, so Andrew Day, and also he, he worked with a lot of the same actors again and again. He worked with Pam Greer a couple of times mm -hmm. in Above the Law and The Package, those Chicago guys that we were talking about. Uh, another actor, Eddie Bo Smith Jr., who plays a character called Shadow. Shadow, who, and he's he's the uh, the other fugitive in The Fugitive. He plays Copeland in The Fugitive, the, the other shackled brutal. prisoner. He's so, got a little part in The Package too. Tragic storyline. Chain Reaction as well. Oh, so, Chain Reaction, he, I forgot about Chain. Yeah, so, so he clearly had a, like a, a, a good affinity with actors. The other thing I think is interesting about um, Seagal in this movie versus his other films is I find that he often comes across in the blurring of lines between reality and fiction as a bully. Mm. In his films, he, he comes across as a bully. But in this film, he's... And more of an underdog. He's more he's more likable, like you're saying he's kind of that man of the people that kind of that you hate to use this phrase, but like the, the common touch, as it were, that McLean has too in the in his interactions with Argyle. Um and uh, you know, we talked about how he interacts with the security guards in the in the lobby in the yeah. Academy Plaza. That just those kind of subtle details that say this is not a pretentious man. There's a moment in this movie that I actually love, uh, where he hands Jordan Tate a gun. And she says, I hate guns. And he says, I do too. I wanted to talk to you and about that. And I think that. that that's a really crucial moment because it makes it, you've seen him like do a bunch of super ridiculous Steven Seagal knife shit and shoot a few people. But like just the fact that he says that makes it like he delivers that line with a kind of Steven Seagal conviction that like 
gets away from his image as like badass Steven Seagal guy that really does a lot for making him like I a love sympathetic that moment. character. I think I, it's a great I, it's moment. It's interesting that you picked up on that too because I, I wanted to ask you about that because I thought that was very um, telling. We talked about that, the, uh, you were talking about a lot with the Liam Neeson thing of like the reluctant hero, right? The guy that doesn't want to use violence. Mm. Ironically- Or Jack Ryan in Patriot Games. Yeah, they're not they're not like gung-ho about yeah. it. Actually, they're the total opposite. It's like necessary. And that's, uh, a, that's a diehard thing. McLean doesn't want to you know everything mcclain does is in reaction to violence against him he's yeah. not an aggressor you no, know exactly nor is ryback except when he slap punches um when he punches krill in the face right earlier in the film but like that dude hocks a loogie into right. a soup screw him and he's clearly yeah provoking him and you know it's uh but again he has a problem with authority right yeah. like but so it's, it's a well, great character. I wanna, I wanna, it is a it great is good character. character. And I want to pick up on that as a good transition into our villains conversation because there's, I think, from a screenwriting perspective, a, something in this movie that doesn't quite work but, like, has a lot of potential, which is the, the dispatching of Krill, Peter Krill, played by Gary Busey, and just, like, absolute killer of a performance. He is so good in this movie. He's such a slimy piece of shit. But he's killed because he gets on the sub... He's helping to repair the submarine that is going to offload the Tomahawk... They're going to offload the Tomahawk missiles to. And he's killed because Ryback and his team take control of the guns, and they blow up the submarine. And that rules. But Peter Krill deserves the death that William Stranix, played by Tommy Lee Jones, gets, where he gets a, an, an, a, a, an eye full of thumb and a knife to the head in a bit of a weird protracted death. I don't really, you know what I mean? And my, my issue is that I feel like the greater antagonism is between, I mean, Stranix and Ryback, and, they and never Ryback. meet yeah, until yeah. the end of the yeah. film. And, but, but crucially, they look, make eye contact and... Ryback goes, I know you. Yeah, they have a backstory. And yeah. Stranis goes, and he's got he's Tommy Lee Jones, great prop acting with that gun. Though, like, the yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. He goes like, yeah, it's been a long time. And then there's this exchange that's so interesting that's like, we both know that the, the people in charge are full of shit. The difference is, is that you're crazy and I'm not. So there's this weird shared kind of like, we're regular guys kind of stuff in the movie. And... I re I wish that is really interesting to me because I wonder what that says about what if, if the movie addresses politics in any way, what that has to do. But it's this strange decision to suddenly, I think a screenwriter's need to be like, we need to create as quickly as we can an antagonism between these two guys. But it doesn't exist at any it point. It kind of comes in, in at the 11th hour. It's a little bit of a deus ex machina. But... What I did want to ask you, and I was going to bring this up later, but as we're talking about it now, and don't worry, we are going to get deep on Tommy Lee Jones' incredible performance. But while we're talking about this point of view of like the, this, the, the hint towards some kind of political dimension. Yeah. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. 
There was one line that I was dying to ask you to unpack. Ooh. So I'm just going to read this line and I want you to interpret you. it and say what your thoughts are. Which is during that scene at the final confrontation between Tommy Lee Jones and S Steven Seagal, who we learn have some kind of history as presumably special forces or black ops. Uh, well, yeah, know, Tommy Lee guys, Jones is right? like a he's classic a CIA, CIA spook would be the term. So he's that they probably use, worked right? with, um, you know, uh, Navy SEALs on different, you know, yeah. different covert missions, right? And Seagal says to him, you and I were puppets in the same yeah. sick play. We serve the same master. And he's a lunatic and he's ungrateful and there's nothing we can do about it. You and I, we're the same. Yeah, that's that's a that's what I was trying to say earlier. Um man. What do you make of that? So is it the president? Is it the is it the United States? Is it is it is it the it, military industrial military complex, complex? Right. You know, so one thing I th weirdly thought about with this movie is the big Lebowski. And the re I know you just looked at me like I'm crazy, but the reason that I bring it up is that Tommy Lee Jones is 50 years old in this film. So he's so in 1967, he's like 20, right? Uh huh. But they're dressing him up in this leather jacket, biker, easy rider, sunglasses style. At one point in the film, he riffs Jimi Hendrix's now, 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 now. And very crucially, this movie has one of its few quote unquote needle drops is Voodoo Child yeah. by Jimi Hendrix. So I wonder, you know, in The Big Lebowski, he's kind of this like disillusioned hippie from the late 60s. And that that's really the only connection that I drew, but I couldn't stop thinking about it. And there's a line in the film, I forget the actor, but the sort of like, Tommy Lee Jones, Stranix's handler, at one point says, what, do you want to relive yeah. the 60s? And so it's like the 60s are often perceived of this moment in American, in Ameri well, world history, but American history of like things could have gone a couple different ways, right? You know, there's like mass protests, 1968. There's this kind of like pushback against, you know, the Vietnam War and, and, and all these things are going to follow. And it's almost like, is Tommy Lee Jones a failed, you know, sort of like, uh, a hippie who's gone in the complete opposite direction and like has found like, okay, fine. I can't live this hippie peace, love lifestyle. So instead I'm going to go serve the, the master that obliterated this possibility comes and comes to find out I'm just a pawn in this game. Right. They tried to kill me. Right. It's really, really interesting because it definitely does create this idea that he is so, ha, is like an echo or an aftershot of the 60s. Yeah. Right? Like, what? It, but was he... It doesn't necessarily make sense that he was like uh, a failed radical, though, because no, he would yeah. be a military or CIA uh, guy. But he does say something like, I, I missed the 60s. Yeah. And I feel like if I had been there to make my contribution to it, everything would have been fine. Now, he might be saying that partly in jest but because he's, so he's screwed around with the Pentagon guys. Well, he is screwing around you with know, them. He's fucking with them a little bit. But he's, he's, he, he, he projects this counterculture thing right. a little bit, right? Like bikers and hippies. And he's not like a dude in a suit. He's not actually like what he is in many other movies, which is one of the yeah. most exciting things yeah. about Tommy Lee Jones' performance. He's dressed like... In this style, it's like, I wish, like, a failed hippie. An so, aging like, rocker, kind of, right? Yeah, like, an aging rocker is exactly, and yeah. he, like, he's in the band, but he's not the singer. He kind of, like, does a little bit of it, and there's a little bit of, like, a performance. Like, he's very funny in those early scenes when he's like, which way do I go? This way, yeah, this way. Yeah. But it's like, 
I mean, yeah, he wouldn't be a hippie, but he seems to project, want to project that. And it, it made me think in, about another thing about this movie, and, and bear with me here, which is this is what, 1992. Mm-hmm. So we're three years after the end of the Cold War, mm-hmm. which is like, you know, this is not not breaking new ground in terms of how you can think about post post Cold War movies. There's great podcasts like uh, Unclear and Present Danger that we've talked about. But like, this is after this so-called like end of history, right? The idea that the classic antagonisms between, you know, Russia and the West are over and like, who are who is our common enemy? Who are we fighting against, right? Very simple reading of that. But these two guys are kind of like, they serve a master and there's no more war. They're decommissioning these battleships. Yes, yes. So like Ryback and Stranix are mirror or opposites. They're, they're both cynical. They're both non-believers. But one has chosen violence and the other is like, I'm just going to cook food, right? So it's this weird like post-Cold War action film about what do you do with soldiers that can't kill professionally anymore or have outworn their usage, which is why they decide to kill Stranix. It's it's really weird. It's Well, what's so interesting about that is that uh, Andrew Davis's previous film, The Package, that we talked about, is explicitly about the end of the Cold War and huh. a detente between um, Russia and America and the, the de-escalation of nuclear conflict and a few hardliners in the American military and the Russian military who were played by John Hurd Oh, and um, our our man from um, Last Boy Scout, Chelsea Ross, who plays another like corrupt uh, general. I think I got to go back and watch the package. It's, been it's a very all long about term. that. Yeah. It's, it's explicitly about a conspiracy to keep nuclear armament in place because of like it, John Hurd has a has a, a point of view at the end of the film where he's like. Um, why do you think there has been peace? It's because of the threat of nuclear war keeps things in balance. And if we get rid of nuclear weapons, he basically makes a kind of weirdly cogent argument for it's insane, but kind of has a weird logic. But the to classic it. military. So yeah. they, clearly, Andrew Davis has some kind of attunement to these ideas, right? They, mm-hmm. they, these films were made within three years, one back to back, that are about like disarmament and the consequences of it. And if you wanted to get really pretentious and Freudian about it, right, you're talking this is a film with gigantic phallic guns, right? right. right that it's being um, emasculated. Like right. these are these are sort of alpha guys, um, you know, being being emasculated and rendered um, surplus to requirements by their father figure, this mysterious father figure that he alludes to, the lunatic who's ungrateful. Nobody gets to see the the Wizard of Oz. Nobody like right. it's that. It has that classical. But this kind is what like... you get when you get like a, a sort of um, you know, in lesser hands, this could be just what you know. It would would be derisively re- referred to as a programmer, an action programmer, right? But because you have Andrew Davis at a point in his career where I think he's really interesting, incredible actors, and let's face it, a fucking phenomenal performance by Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, he's amazing. There is basically, in my opinion, there's only Gruber above him in all of these, all of these kind of diehard on a blank style films. This mm. is the absolute best other than Gruber the Goat. Well, that's a good the good point because I also think there's something similar in the like, so there's a lot to unpack there. The emasculation, the idea of like they no longer serve a master they, they understand or they believe in. The fact that he kind of like, when he, there's that classic scene that all these movies has to have where the terrorist states his demands, usually to a board of dudes in like, mm-hmm. and again, the contrast, they're all in these military gear, 
uh, the guy who is his handler is in this like expensive suit, smoking cigarettes, slicked back hair, like just a piece of shit. Maybe the dick of the movie. He's we in the nominees. There. He's in the nominees. <laughs> but you have this like almost gonzo electric Kool-Aid acid test, cuckoo's nest kind of like absurd litany of absurdities he says that's making krill and the other guys laugh like yeah. he's not actually asking for anything his politics are like a weird manifesto of nothing yes and i think that's really interesting as a as, as a comparison to gruber because gruber has a scene where he's like we want our political that was not i'm sorry take that back but the, imagine alan rickman asian dawn or yeah, yeah. Uh, does he, and the other like he mentioned some real I read about some, them in time magazine. I read about them in time yeah. magazine he has the same actual flippancy yes. about like where he's pretending to have some kind of um you know I, I guess like agenda, right? Yeah. He pretends to have an agenda, but he's also. But it's an even more absurd agenda. Yeah, there's yeah. no real like. Uh, you... Tommy Lee Jones is sort of the same way, where he's just. He almost seems like someone that's. The other thing that I thought was interesting, just to sort of uh, uh, filter into this, mm. which is, I think Tommy Lee Jones, if you look, is playing this performance. His performance is imbued with the idea that this is a man who is slowly going insane. Yes, he's, well Have said. you noticed how he's constantly out of breath? And is like, he's actually going crazier and crazier as the film goes on. But I think he starts out, he's already crazy. Yeah. And it, once the plan gets foiled, he decides, fuck it, I'm just going to, I'm actually going to fire nuclear weapons. Well, he also loses his hearing three-fourths yes. of the way into the and movie. And that's when he starts going for these crazy non-secateurs about me. like, <laughs> yeah, all my life, Saturday morning cartoons, the best. Like, what's going on? It's amazing, it though. Really it really is amazing. Because he's playing a guy that is like got elite skills, is very intelligent, has been trained, has a complex relationship with the U.S. government that built him. And the complex. Where he familiar, seems yeah. like on both sides of it. He's wearing a tie-dye T-shirt. Yeah. Right? Talk about the 60s and yeah. iconography, right? But yet he's a tool of that. Uh, apparatus and he seems almost at war with himself about it and is just lost. Maybe a bit of a metaphor for being alive in the post-Cold War era as like someone who spent their career trying to do this. Like he represents like both sides of like America in the sense that he's like, you know, there's that whole like debate that is ridiculous, but like would Lebowski be a Trump guy now? Like this kind of idea of like the people that are like the flower childs of a previous generation have gone around the complete other way because there's this idea that without like a classical antagonism, East versus West, Russia versus America, whatever the case is, like, how do people exist, right? Do nuclear weapons keep the world in order, right? right. Like, as you said before, and, like, that's kind of the classic uh, military movie argument that, like, without these weapons, like, what's to stop these, like, st what's to stop antagonisms? Like, and, and that's a very richly explored subject, right? So it, it's, like, it's also, he's um, crazy, right? An interesting precursor, again, to, to Ed Harris's character in The Rock, who I think is similarly at war with himself and his relationship to America. Someone that was, that that's slightly more clear because he's, like, a, you know, um, a, a Marine general that has been very much by the book, very very much part of that system that and then he's lost face with faith with that system which actually comes up here the idea of faith um uh and uh has turned on right. the country that he served so diligently for so long so again this is a, actually a very influential film within the canon of uh, this of also comes cinema. up a little bit in clear and present danger with jack clark willem dafoe's character leading these guys right. into battle and then being like to to lead a, an illegal drug war and then being left to die like and then there's the fact that Harrison Ford, who's kind of the like bureaucrat, has to take responsibility for. It. Yeah, it's like a super resonant movie. And like the most fascinating thing about this movie to me, 
is Tommy Lee Jones's character. And, and I'm so glad you brought up that scene and quoted it directly, so directly, because like that was that was the thing that I sat and thought about after. Like I uh, the whole time I was like, what? He's a weird enigma. It's interesting because yeah. then he would later That's play. Well he would later play Two Face in the Batman movie. Yeah. which, you know, I actually kind of like Batman Forever, and one of the great things about it is Tommy Lee Jones is just like batshit craziness. Well, people sort movie. of forget as well that we think of Tommy Lee Jones, I think now a little bit uh, culturally as this sort of you know gruff, dour, very serious yeah. actor, but you forget that he has had an incredible gift for comedy. Yeah. I, actually, he's hilarious in The Fugitive. And, I don't you know, care. He's so funny yeah. in The Fugitive. And then, of course, Men in Black and all the rest of it. But it, I would say for actors as well, like watch this performance because there is not one line or moment that he doesn't make interesting. No, I agree. Whether it, even the way he says like, well done. Yeah. To the, when, when he gets the things working, he doesn't, even a line like that that is totally perfunctory and generic, he finds a way to make it interesting. When he realizes that the strike team are coming in, the SEAL team, and he and he's like on the phone with someone else, he's like, strike team. Like, it's like, he's not even worried about the fact that there's That's a Navy point. SEAL team heading inbound. He's like busy making his deal to sell the nukes. It's yeah. like an afterthought. He makes fascinating offbeat choices in every single yeah. moment. Even when he's first introduced on the Chinook that's coming in and he's next to Erica Oleniak, he's he's falling asleep. I think he's pretending and, to fall and asleep. And she put, like, to sort of latch on her a yeah. bit and she shoves him off. But even moments like that where it's like, where nothing is happening, he finds a little bit of texture, a little choice to make. And because you, if you do that enough times, yeah. Then that's what creates an extraordinary, like such a larger than life effervescent performance, which contrasts brilliantly against the non-performance of Steven Seagal, who's the complete opposite, right? And in the middle, we have giving a straight-laced dick of dick, dick, dick performance. God bless him, Gary Busey as Peter Krill. This is a great Gary Busey performance also. I mean, Incredible. Gary Busey has already um, established himself in the action movie Hall of Fame with his performance as Mr. Joshua. It's goddamn Christmas in Lethal Weapon. But like, you know, I don't know that Gary, Gary Busey also a bit of a weird figure, but um, I don't know that he gets enough credit for what he does in these movies because he knows exactly what he has to do. He knows exactly how to play it. One of the great... <laughs> Re reveals in this movie and I don't know that this is like particularly like great in 2023 is him dressed as drag and like it's a genius it's, moment it's in the context of the film and it's, it's so unexpected and disarming bizarre, right? because you see him as this like you know like, okay he's just a prick right you know he's one of the brass he doesn't get on with Seagal you know he's just we've seen him in other movies being this kind of guy and then when he comes out in drag it's so like Disarming and, and it's, yeah, it's an absurd bizarre. drag. Yeah, he's like, we're going to see the captain now. And it, it's like, wow, these guys—they're two lunatics. Yeah, you and, know? and they—they they have such their charisma, their chemistry crazy together. Chemistry. Yeah, it, it, when you get two guys like that that are just firing on all cylinders, yeah. it—that's why this movie works because Seagal isn't particularly a charismatic actor. Yeah, but if you have that kind of firepower yeah. offset, that's why Andrew Davis, I think, as like a, a cook, if you like, to use the the parlance of our times, to use the, <laughs> to, to 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 use uh, the the Casey Ryback reference, if he's making this um, stew, this gumbo, this yeah, bouillabaisse, this bouillabaisse, he knows the 
right out that you need uh, that right combination right. Uh, 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 in that recipe. And if you have an actor like Seagal that comes across as cold and one note and uh, doesn't give you a lot, yeah. uh, you have to balance it with extraordinary effervescent Well, I'll villains. go even further to say that like sometimes uh, villains in movies can come off as just one note, one dimensional, right? And like kind of just like, we're bad guys. And it's not interesting. It's never, ever, you know, interesting. You know, they... That's what it's like in all Seagal's other movies that preceded this, right, in right, my right. opinion. Yeah, and again, it's it's having a, a, a director who also knows how to cast and knows how to uh, find the right kind of the right kind of vibe. Yeah, you're right. It's a great they they do a great job of compensating for Seagal's uh, let's say uh, limit limitations. limitations. So, can we play my favorite game? Who's your favorite terrorist? <laughs> I thought it was going to be like getting on a helicopter or something. Who's your favorite Who's terrorist? Who's your favorite terrorist? We've got Welcome uh, to Who's Your Favorite Terrorist Pod, a <laughs> podcast within a podcast. Uh we've got who, Dharma. Who's Dharma? Uh, played by Colm Meany. Oh. Um, we've You're got, incredible, um, Rybeck. Pew, pew, pew. Just goes right over. It's great. We've got Mr. Pitt, who is our Theo equivalent, the hacker. For our British listeners, I like to think of uh, Mr. Pitt uh, as a nefarious Sid Little. Uh, that will fly over the heads <laughs> no, of yeah, most yeah, Americans. Good, that's good. But um, if you remember Little and Large, um, that's how I that's how I see old uh, Mr. Mr. Pitt. Pitt. We've got Cates and Ziggs, uh, the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of this saga, the two mercenaries sent <laughs> to know, kill Private say Nash. Say what you will about this podcast, but we're the only guys making a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern <laughs> reference to the 1992 <laughs> film Under Siege. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that's very good. That's film. what we do. I like that. And then we've got Eddie Bo Smith Jr. as uh, as uh, Shadow. Mm. Um, you know, none are terribly memorable. I, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with the obvious choice, which is Stranix, Tommy Lee Jones. Can I pick him? No, oh, no, I can't. Okay, so this is, take it back. <laughs> absolutely not. All right, no um, of your of your of your henchies. Of your henchies, I'm gonna go with. I kind of want to go with Ziggs now because I like the Rosencrantz. Ziggs is a great name. Yeah, as well, that's a good isn't it? name. Like that's send actually, Kate, Send Ziggs. That's my new say, nickname. Anytime there's some kind of errand required now, yeah. I send Ziggs, say send, send Kate. Kate. <laughs> Something about yeah. that. Just start saying it to your son. Yeah, You'd be like, all right, Ziggs, yeah. you have to work. You have to go and get um, some milk. Send Kate, send Ziggs. I'm going to go with Shadow. Okay. Because I think that that guy makes an impression in everything oh, the, he does. Yeah. He's a very good actor and um, the doesn't get enough The bit where um, like someone tries to attack him. Yeah. One of the sailors like actually yeah. has a gun and then and he just like shoves him off. He's like fuck. Yeah. And yeah. then just blows him away. It's so like believable. Right. And then that Tommy Lee Jones like carefully takes aim and shoots the next man. Let this be a lesson to you, gentlemen. If you fall out of line, we will kill you and the man next to you. It's so good. Now move out of here in an orderly fashion. (laughs) It's so good. Now! (laughs) Now! It's so good. Sorry about your ears, guys. Um, so... Wait, wait, who's your pick? Um, Mr. Pitt. Okay, all right, all right. I'm just into his weird vibe. So weird. I did it. I'm into him. Yeah, his little, this little sexual little <laughs> vibe in there with that guy. He's like, oh, I figured out the system. Yeah. I did it. He's kind of, he's kind of got a cool creeper. creeper I also aspect. like when Lee, Tommy Lee Jones, when Stranix pulls the gun and puts it in his face when he can't figure yeah, out the yeah, problem. Yeah. I think that's a chilling moment. Yeah. I think that's really, really good. I like it when the terrorist turns on there. Uh, well, The Rock is a great example of that. Yeah. When we took this job, best, we became yeah. mercenaries. That's, that's the best version of that. Yeah. It's uh, uh, David that Morse. Beat. David oh. Morse. Wait till we get there. Oh, man. Don't forget to subscribe. Yeah. Um, 
the action. This is an action movie podcast, not a not a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern referencing end of history podcast. <laughs> this is where we're going to. The, this is an this you know good action in this movie. Excellent. It's very fleet-footed moves. Davis knows how to cut. He knows how to deliver. He knows this how to shoot action. Yes, he does. You know, um, uh, there's some. I mean, there's a number of fantastic sequences. I, I'm a big fan of the old. Uh, who is the highest ranking um, officer in this room? That what's sequence. What's that guy's name? Um, what the guy that he, he shoots? shoots yeah. I don't know. I just love. It's a pleasure to meet you, Commander. Oh yeah, Green. Blows, I think. Yeah, and he just blows him away. That's such a great moment. And they um, pull the guns out from under the like the trays. Yeah, good stuff. E it, even the other thing I think is important about this, again, it's sort of like the idea of, um, you know, William Friedkin once said, w shooting a car chase is kind of like knitting, right? In each mm. sort of, uh, whatever you call it, each stroke, each, um, mm -hmm. you know, um, I don't know what the, the thread. Yeah. Uh, like the, the, it's, it's, it's very precise. There's a precision to it, but it's also, there's a sort of almost um, a tediousness to it because you have to make each tiny individual component good. And in the same way, that's what we're talking about with like Tommy Lee Jones. But if it's the accumulation of 167 brilliant tiny choices mm -hmm. creates this larger uh, tapestry. I think in the same way that the little action beats, like the way that when they go in, when Busey and Meany go in and kill the captain, the way Meany kills the guard and then closes the door with his leg, yeah. like while holding, uh, I think he's holding like... Um, a silver platter or something. It's really slick. So if and you make yeah. every beat like that, if you put that kind of care and attention into all these different beats, then the cumulative effect uh, is what you get, right? Which is a really expertly crafted action. Yeah, and, and and also this movie runs, not that this is the key, but this movie runs an hour and 42 minutes. And I think, God bless it for that. But it's also lean, it's yeah. like, it's lean and like the action never outstays its welcome. Yeah. It's very functional, but not in a way that I'm like, okay, it's fine or whatever. Like it always feels good. Like there's a shootout towards the end of the film uh, not the end, but you know, close to the end when Seagal is like sitting on the ground shooting through the the passageways and the he gets a call from the 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 military command. Oh and yeah, she, and like this, it's really cheesy. But Eric Eleni is like, he's in a gun battle right now. I'm gonna take a message. I love that. And then it's it's good. And then they give him the phone and like. It's just witty and funny, and you don't sacrifice the action when he's kind of like, "Yes, sir." I think you know, it does. There's like a comedy to the action. The action never feels like overblown or ridiculous. It's just like, well, there's a well couple done. of other stunts that I, th one in particular, I think is really spectacular. The bit where he blows up the Chinook uh, helicopter and then jumps off the the ship. W very much a diehard. Really, yeah, a lot like very die much. Hard. Yeah, absolutely. The roof of uh, Nakatomi, absolutely. Kind of vibe. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, firing the battleship's giant 16-inch um, guns. Yeah. And there's some really, really great stuff in it. But the one thing, I, I, and you brought this up earlier, I think the action is excellent throughout the entire film, with one exception, which you touched on earlier, which was really the only disappointment for me was um, Tommy Lee Jones as William Stranix. His his death, which to me was really blunt and inelegant. You yeah. know, he just, the fact, he just, they have this fight. We learn at the last second that they have a kind of backstory. Okay, it's kind of kind of cool. Like, yeah. but it, 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 it would have been great to have it seeded a little earlier so that that had a bit more um, resonance. They have this exchange where Tommy Lee Jones is phenomenal um, and ends with him saying like, uh, you know, there's one difference between us when, when Seagal's basically tried to say that we're the same, which is you have faith, I don't. That's what it is. That's right. a, then it leads to a, a knife fight. And 
he just ends up defeating him in a knife fight and sticking the knife in his it's head. Brutal. It's a it's a brutal death. And then the line is keep the faith, Stranix, right? Which I also think was an ADR line yeah, because you don't ADR'd. see Segal say that they added line, it in right? Post, yep. And it's just anticlimactic. Uh, it's an anticlimactic afterthought for such an incredible vivid villain. Yeah. Look at Gruber's death for how it's done, yeah. right? It just deserved something more. Now, Krill, I think, does get an amazing death because of the, yeah. you know, you're, you, you've kind of Chekhov's guns, right? <laughs> writ large. Yeah, Chekhov's guns. Very good, very good. All right, Chekhov's 16-inch so guns. Just to be clear, we have a Chekhov reference and a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. By the way, you know we what we got to get some um, Henrik Ibsen in here and we'll be really good to go. Speaking of non-secateurs. You know when they load the, I guess it's the gunpowder into yeah. those giant things? That to me looks like a delicious marshmallow. marshmallow. Yes! yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we're doing the pod together. <laughs> we're on some we're weird like, Oh no, wavelength. it's the Stay Puft Marshmallow <laughs> Man. They yeah. look like marshmallows. marshmallows. Yeah, they do look like delicious marshmallows that we could eat. It is um, inelegant. I, I, I'm going to push back. It's a shame though. It's I a just, shame. They could have done something... I'm gonna, Push back on the Krill thing because Krill is kind of the Carl of this movie. He's meaning he's the second in command. He's a little bit like um, the Lethal Weapon Two guy, who's really the person that Briggs has beef with. You know, I can I do, I do uh, diplomatic immunity. Uh, it's just been revoked. <laughs> um, but you're right. It's a little inelegant. I remember watching this movie with my dad and him having a visceral reaction to three moments. One mm. is when he pushes the guy under the blade and it cuts his, sho cuts oh, his shoulder. Oh, I can't watch that. It's awful. And when that. he rips the guy's throat out. I just don't know if we need the throat rip. There's Which a, bit's that? There's a bit early. He like knocks the guy over and, <laughs> and pulls his throat out. He uh, he Daltons him? He, da he Daltons him, yeah. There's a Dalton moment. Oh, yeah. that. It's awful. It's because he's <laughs> And it makes no sense because I know we've talked about this is also the podcast where we talked about it best possible. <laughs> but it's 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 like an increasingly shocking kind of violent movie throughout in my mind, but and it, yeah, I'm shocked you haven't noticed this. It it really sticks out in my head. It's 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 pretty soon before it's when he's dispatching all the terrorists on the way. It's like the the part of the movie that I think almost gets like a video game where it's mm. like he's just moving through and dispatching terrorists. That is a great sequence where he's like crossing his arms and firing in two different directions. I'd never oh, seen that. Oh, that's like that's before. like classic action movie stuff, right? But I, you're right I've never seen it before. That, yeah. I, th I think it's probably done 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 a lot now. Um, John Woo was like, God damn it. That was my idea. <laughs> Just machine guns. I can hear the sound of um, Tom Jones' voice drifting over the valleys. She's a, <laughs> She's a lady. The lady Shall we in talk question. about the leading lady? Of Erica Alaniac as Jordan Tate. I have a hot take if you want to hear it. I think I might have the same hot take. Okay. What is your hot take? My hot take is that Erica Eleniak is a low-key comedic genius she's in this movie. great in this movie. I think she's doing something really kind of brilliant in, yeah. with a thankless, sexist part. She transcends um, the role. I think she is really, really doing some really clever, witty, really deft uh, stuff. This is a movie that totally objectifies her. You know, uh, it's really gross. Um, it was not acceptable at the time. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I actually remember, especially because my mum being, you know, uh, you know, pretty staunch feminist and kind of oh, instilling. Oh, my mum was grossed out by this. You know, these yeah. kind of values in me that even at like what I was tw maybe 12 when this movie came out, whatever. Even then, I was kind of feeling like this is, I don't know, this is kind of like tacky and, you know. I, but I she manages to under, so there's a sequence early in the film where she gets off the boat and she like, she looks incredible, right? Like, and and the, the all that she's the, like she's dressed all in black and like she's done up, but she, 
and the guys are all looking at her and they're hooting and hollering and being gross and like Krill is all over her. Yeah, He's got yeah, his hands yeah. on his arms. And to her credit, you know, and maybe the, to her credit, and I think probably to the credit of Andrew Davis, it's not like she's like into it. She's no, not she's revulsed it. by she's it. She's revulsed. She's she wants to get away. And she then gets goes and gets some like pills for nausea. I think it is. Right. And she's like, I'm gonna take a bunch of these. Like she really, she's clearly like, Ugh. yeah, like I don't want to be doing this. And then she ends up being one of the more like interesting characters throughout the film. She increasingly becomes a badass. She like loads the Uzi for the laundry guy at yeah. one point. She takes out Cole Meany. Yes. I, I think she's really good in the movie. I, I, I do too. And th there's this interesting meta thing going on because her character is constantly referenced as being Miss July 1989, which she actually was in real life. And of course she was in, in Baywatch, you know, very objective, objectifying oh, right. yeah. um, show. Um, but she says these lines that like, where she says like, I'm an actress. I did a Hunter episode and a Wet n Wild video. Yeah. And she's like giving her, it's like really clever. And it's well delivered. You know, yeah. and you, you, and that bit where she says like, actually I have two rules. One, I don't date musicians. And two, I don't kill people. And he says pretty soon you know? you're going to be dating musicians. After yeah. She and she's just it. like got, she's got a real like gift for a comedy. It's a shame we didn't see more of her. She did make that movie, which is unfortunately isn't good. Which called one? Chasers. Oh, I don't remember Tom um, Tom Berenger and William McNamara, which you'd, you'd, was also sort of a Navy set thing. It was a bit like that. Uh, the last detail. It's shocking that um, the name Tom Berenger has just been said for the first time on this podcast. No, it hasn't. We had a whole chat about him and on uh, on a previous episode. Which one? I can't remember, but uh, oh, we were talking about Costa Gavras, and then I was talking about Betrayed, and then we got into Sniper, and then we got into Inception, and we went down a whole right, Behringer right. rabbit it's hole. A, listen, I'm a one take wonder. Once these are recorded, I never yeah. think about them. You're again. just in a fugue state yeah, when we record. I don't even know what's happening right now. <laughs> I took a bunch of those uh, nausea pills that she takes earlier in the in the film. But shout out to legitimately, I think she's great in this. Yeah, film. she's great. She's you know, really, really good. She and gives like, a different energy that the, the film needs. To the credit of her, and maybe the movie, it knows there's a little bit maybe there's not a little bit of like undercutting it but she as a performer is undercutting what the movie is doing with exactly her. and and that is really really great i think and it's actually quite yeah a subtly sophisticated a, a, a sophisticated piece of work in, in which most people would probably just like it would bounce off them and just say oh she's she's a bimbo playing a bimbo it's very refreshing but she's to, not no, she's, she's satirizing that idea mm -hmm. she's way more intelligent she's never than a wilted flower no and i love the scene where he terrific. tries to lock her in the locker lock her in the locker and she just loses her mind to get out you know and you know Seagal doesn't do her performance any favors because he reacts to her like she's a pest and a nuisance, and he's very condescending. He's very condescending, and, yeah, like, like and rolling his eyes. like it's like there's the like a car phone line about yeah. the the transmitter. It's just like he's so patronizing. He's to very her. patronizing, and and you know there's there's ways to read that as what he's directed to do, but then there's also the like different choices could have been made in those moments. And also that obviously, as you sort of mentioned earlier, his, him kissing her, like a, grabbing her like a piece of Here's meat at move. the end I of the film is, my wife, who I've been trying to convince to watch this film for years, of course wanders in and, and she's refused steadfastly. Well, because you guys met in. on a battleship, so she doesn't. <laughs> but she, of course, she wanders in at that moment. Where here's one move, and I'm like, oh, I'm never going to get her to watch this the, film. The last few minutes of that movie are kind of like reshoots or added material because it like, becomes very abrupt. Yeah, it's. I it ends know. on a mournful note of him over the captain's body. Yeah, which is really... and, well, it's the only thing that's interesting about that is 
He's in his dress whites, which he refused to wear, to wear at the start yeah. of the film because he doesn't really go in for pomp and ceremony. And of course, there's, you know, a whole, a, those dress whites always look great on screen. Yeah. You know, and it's a it is an effective moment. But, but there's a reading of that per our conversation earlier of him coming back into the fold, absolutely. Then, which is, you know, he's realized this is what he's built to do, right? And at what he's really good at, and this is his raison d'être. It's not to live as a cook, kind of, uh, and not use these skills. He needs mm. to use them in service of a higher calling. But he has already said that that higher calling is an ungrateful lunatic. Complex movie. Not really, but <laughs> we try and find welcome, complexities. Welcome to Complex Movie, the podcast. So there is humor in this film. It's I think funny. we've kind of talked about most of that already. Busey's, uh, you know, drag act. We're going to see the um, captain now. <laughs> it's bizarre. So weird. Uh, every single thing that Tommy Lee Jones says and does, I think, is hysterical. Right. Even even Seagal, to be to be fair, has a couple of witty lines, like when the bit where he does the impression of Glenn Morshaw, where he's like, "I guess we'll just see what I we'll guess see. We'll just see what we'll see, won't we?" No, and then he got, that's he's really good in that moment. He is, and also he's kind of like, "Why is it that I'm quaking in my? Yeah. Why am I doing an Elvis impression?" <laughs> but yeah, like he he really he's really he's he's good. It's it's funny. This, there is, is a funny. This and, is a and funny. And what's film. important is the f humor serves the function of engendering him to the crew who will later help yes. him fight the terrorists. Yeah, which is very McLean. Which very is very McLean. McLean you know. Speaking of McLean, yes, I'm just gonna put on my navy whites. Oh yeah, we'll put on our dress, uh, dress, dress, dress uniforms, dress uniforms, polish Be the buckles. Because it's time for the diehard Oscars, aka the Action Movie Awards, with your host Phil Gawthorne. What are our not? Uh, what are our awards, Phil? Our first award is the John McClane Yippee Kaye Award for Best Line, and the nominees are. I'm always a fan of this one. Wake up the president. Yeah, that's really, really good. Now, interesting that 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 cat, uh, the national security advisor Trenton, played by Dennis Lipscomb, on face value you might think he's kind of a bit of a weaselly dick of the movie nominee, but actually every single thing he says in this movie is on point. Yeah, he's totally <laughs> correct about every single choice that that's he makes and every concern that he has. It's actually a really good. He's performance. slimy too. He comes across so as slimy, slimy, but if you actually like watch what he's saying and doing, he's he's on the money. Yeah. Um, another line I thought was great was um, where uh, Jordan Tate says to him, uh, says to Ryback, you're not a cook. And he says, yeah, well, I also cook. Yeah, that's a great <laughs> that line. A, that's, that's a great that's line. A is that on beast. the list? Is that on the that's list? On okay. my, that's on my list. That's a good one. He delivers um, that really well. Do I look like I need a psychological evaluation? Said by I'll go Krill while, yeah. while he's half in drag. Yeah. Um, and uh, completely uh, deranged. Um, cigar in his mouth. Uh, also, <laughs> a bit, you know, the, it's a bit of a the exchange where where Stranick says uh, uh, you're a maniac drowning your own crew, and Krill goes, uh, "They never liked me anyway." Yeah, oh, <laughs> and then Dharma goes, "I bet they fucking love you now." <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Fantastic. That's good. But I also had your line about I told you I don't like guns, yeah. which I thought was kind of interesting. So those were my so noms. the nominees. Okay. I'm going to go with, do I look like I need a psychological evaluation? Because that elicited a belly laugh from my dad every single time we watched the movie. So there's a little bit of like, that that moment made me laugh. It almost feels like that was a Busey improv. Like yeah. it may not have been, but it feels like they were, he was just so in sync is, with the vibe of this what movie. What does TLJ say back to him? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Deadpan. <laughs> That's good. That, those two together, I mean, give them a sick. What's your pick? 
Um, <laughs> Stranix and Krill, the sitcom. I think, um, uh, yeah, well, I also cook. Yeah. It's just like that kind of captures the essence of the it's movie. It's a great and underplay. That's a great example of his underplay yeah, being I really, really one. strong. Our next award um, is the Hans Gruber Exceptional Thief Award for Stealing the Film. And the nominees are Tommy Lee Jones as William Stranick, Gary Busey as Commander Krill, mm. Erica Eleniak as Jordan Tate, Colmini as Dharma, and coming in from uh, from stage right, Dale Dye as Captain Garza. That's a really interesting choice. Dale Dye is very good in this movie. He's ex- he he's, just, like, I mean, he's good in everything. Such for those, authority. For those that don't know, Dale Dye is probably the preeminent military advisor and turned actor of in, in, in modern Hollywood history. Um, he, he ran the boot camp for the actors in Saving Private Ryan, famously. One of the things I think is mo- so interesting about that, there's a tangent, is that Matt Damon did not participate in that boot camp, so as to create uh, tension between him and the actors in that film, and played, I believe, a big role in the military advising for Full Metal Jacket, right? Didn't, wasn't I, I he involved think he might be in that as well. He might be, yeah. Um, yeah, important figure. Yeah, um, and, and, and yeah, I think sort of shaped, uh, quietly shaped a lot of the narratives around the military, you know, uh, military films. I'm sure he was very heavily involved with Band of Brothers, the um, probably the most famous World War II series ever made mm-hmm. about the about about uh, World War II. Who's your pick? I, I you is you you is saying you 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 know you can't go for him, but it has to be Tommy Lee Jones. Okay, no, for me, yeah, yeah, no, I get it. It just feels a little too like, of course, it's Tommy Lee Jones, but I get it. I'm going with Erica Eleniak because I okay. was. Sort of, um, I, I don't disagree with your pick. Oh, no tension on the podcast. <laughs> Phil's leaving. Phil's walking out of the room. <laughs> Erica Liniak, because I was so refreshed by the take that she had on the film. Because I sort of turned it on last last night being like, oh, yeah, there's the whole Miss July thing. Yeah. Um, and I found it a little like, not. I wouldn't say subversive, but it undercut. What I expected it to be. She's definitely a bit of a sort of uh, a thief in the night. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones is like coming in guns blazing, where she could have kind of quietly sneaks off into the shadows with, with yeah. the film. Uh, you know. You know what else she is? She's a lady. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! The only She's one in the film, except for um, there's a there's a lady in the Pentagon. So the Dick Thornburg Award for Dick of the Movie. Mm. Um, Interesting. I'm curious to hear the nominees. Well, my, my nominees, but please feel free to add. This is a democracy. Um, Mr. Pitt. I did it. I did it. <laughs> <laughs> that was like Zed. Zed's <laughs> <laughs> dead, baby. <laughs> um, Mr. Pitt, as uh, played by Richard Andrew Jones, uh, a.k.a. Sid Little. Uh, the Stranix's bespectacled tech specialist, Tom Breaker, played by Nick Mancuso, mm. the shady CIA director and Stranix's former boss. Uh, Tackman, played by Damien Chapa, who is the young sailor who repeatedly refers to Jordan Tate as Miss July instead of her actual name, despite having mm. been introduced to her multiple times. He's the laundry guy. He's the laundry guy. Yeah. Those are my picks, but pl- please feel free to add. If you want to throw Kates and Ziggs in there, or any of our other... Uh... I think uh, Nick, Nick, Tom Breaker, Tom Breaker, Tom Breaker is the pick. He's yeah. just a slimy, kind of nasty... Hi, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Tom. Yeah, I think I got to go with him. This movie, I mean, and you know, you can make an argument for Gary Busey, but it's too big of a part. Yeah. But he really is a huge dick. Oh, yeah. He's spitting in the soup. Who's the guy, the gentleman, uh, the Rob Eric, I don't like, the, 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 that, who's that dude? 
The, which, which the dude who comes down early in the film, he might be the dick in the Ensign movie. Ensign Taylor, played Ensign by Dale. Glenn Glenn Morshower, who's the guy who with the uh, the ginger hair. Yeah, the ginger the hair, hair guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's who. He, that's uh, who he, he's in every single military slash action film made. He from might be this the dick of the on. movie. Ensign Taylor. He just sucks. He's just a slimy shit. He's kind of like the guy in Patriot Games who's like, we took him out. Like, there's just something crappy about, like... He's just a bit of a bootlicker, isn't he? Yeah, I don't a, like bootlickers, yeah, though, yeah, yeah. you know? I, I the, the bootlickers don't have a point of view. Yeah. I don't like that. Okay. But I think, man, I, I also will go with the guy who's, you know, the CIA or whatever NSA guy who's probably read counter, you know, ran well, like counter-revolutionary operations yeah. in South America for 40 years. He kind of seals it at the end when he's like, if, when the guy goes to him, um, if it all goes bad, we'll just blame it on the cook. And yeah. he's like, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that he kinda, sucks. Kinda that guy's it. very good in this movie. Yeah, Nick Mancuso's Nick done, some, done some quite significant stuff in the 80s and For 90s. For sure, good actor. Um, Best Death, presented by Marco. No more table! Next time you have a chance to kill someone, don't hesitate. By the end of this podcast, I'm gonna be like, don't <laughs> hesitate! It's gonna get longer You're not taking longer. your own advice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's gonna take it longer and longer and longer. Um, so I have a few lines, again, feel free to, to throw them into the, uh, the buoy base. Uh, who's the highest ranking officer in this room? Uh, that moment. Mm. Um, it's a pleasure to meet you, Commander Green. Boom! That's a good one. Uh, the bomb in the microwave. The bomb in the... Three, put it on for three and a half minutes. Does stir it, it make sense that it blows up the second they get down there? Who cares? Uh, it really bothered me. Anyway. What did he put in it? Uh, what was that? I don't know. I mean, probably some liquor, probably some alcohol. Yeah. But is there wonder... alcohol allowed on... There has to be, yeah. Yeah, for sure. well, yeah, definitely for that party. Yeah. I also love that bit where he goes uh, with the booby-trapped hatch door. Yeah. Whereas, Stand fast! Do not pursue that man! Yeah, yeah. Like, I love that moment as well because that's character because Stranix is like... He realizes these, these are... SEAL team tactics. Yeah. Right? Like setting up um, booby traps and yeah. deploy, like, because he's he's really aware of who this guy is and the kind of like skills it would have. So he's at, like that step ahead of the rest of the people. Like don't follow him because they're setting up these uh, these IEDs. Um, very quickly, we didn't, we didn't mention him and I want to. Tom Hall, the oh, actor yes. who plays the young guard who will- Private Nash. Private Nash, yeah. who's, who plays a very significant role in The Fugitive. And, and U.S. Marshals. And U.S. Marshals. Yeah. Oh yeah, U.S. Marshals. He's very, very good in this movie. And yeah. like- Very likable. Sort of an iconic 90s guy. Yeah. You're like, oh, that guy, I like him. Another Andrew Davis uh, Regular, staple, sort of yeah. like the Andrew Davis uh, repertory uh, actor. Absolutely. Well, there's also the dropping the girder on the guy. Ugh. That's, that was a fun one. And 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 Busey being killed by the battleship's guns. Yeah, They're yeah. One of my picks. Would you have? Do you have a, your? Pick? I think it's the guy that gets killed when his arm getting chopped off under the saw blade. I can't. That's, I can't. It's so vivid oh, and terrible. Oh, oh, yeah, it's awesome. Oh, Can you that's imagine like ricochet the, level? Oh, like oh, that no, and the throat rip out, which I need you to go back and and and, okay. and, and look really at investigate. again. All right. I think that even even Stranix's death, though kind of rushed or whatever, is brutal. It's brutal. I just wish there was something in either the line or the nature of the death, or ideally both, that m meant something. Yeah, sure. You know, like keep the faith. What does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't it's... mean. And the idea was introduced thirty seconds earlier. Well, that I was thinking. You know, not to get too much of a tangent. It'd be really cool if earlier in the film they somehow connect Ryback 
with the people who are the military folks so that he could be on the call with Stranix. So he could be like, Stranix, how do I know Stranix? Like, we could get two or That's three lines saying. about like, just I. Just a little bit of feathering just, in, a little bit of yeah. track laid. Um, so that that finale would have a little bit more, because that's so cool that they knew each other. Yeah, and it makes but sense. they don't do anything about it. Makes it makes sense. It's just like oh, maybe yeah. you should. Maybe we should write like a ten-part uh, prequel to Under Siege. Maybe an AI should write it. Double Jeopardy. Question number one: A few years after Under Siege, Steven Seagal played the role of Lieutenant Colonel Austin Travis. In which Die Hard on a Plane action movie? Come on. First of all, Austin Travis is such a stupid name. Uh, what, compared to Mason Storm, I think, which is one of his previous That's uh, your birth name, right? Mason names. Storm. Uh, the, the film is The Executive Decision. Question number two. Quiz question number two. Under Siege Helmer Andrew Davis was once hired to direct an iconic Arnold Schwarzenegger movie but was replaced as the director two weeks into filming. What 1987 Arnold movie was he supposed to direct? And there is a clue available. You can phone a friend. You can radio Al Powell. Uh, can I do one guess and then phone a friend? Sure. Is it Total Recall? It is not. Okay, phone a friend. Okay. This satirical sci-fi action film was based on a novella by Stephen King. Oh, The Running Man. Yes. Sorry. I just, oh, damn it. Oh, iconic. You're on the right track with sci-fi action. Is, is Running Man? I guess it is iconic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that he, Andrew Davis was going to do The Running Man. So you, the legend goes they were $8 million over budget after eight days filming. Um, but Davis did make a number of key creative $8 decisions. $8 million? Apparently that's the legend. Uh, but Davis did hire Paula Abdul, Dweezil Zappa, uh, Mick Fleetwood, and Richard Dawson. So he did kind of have like a significant impact on the final film. He would go on to later direct Arnold in Collateral Damage. Oh, yeah, that's right. I, we got to do like an Andrew Davis pod. Davis pod? Davis pod? <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's time for everybody's favorite convoluted corner. Oh. Corner, 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 corner. Question number three. You're going to love this. Okay. Okay. Erica Aleniak appeared in 45 episodes of Baywatch between 1989 and 1992. Her character's surname has a very strong diehard connection. What was it? You think I remember the names of characters on Baywatch? Think about it. But there is a clue available. Al Powell is standing by. All right, Al Powell. The surname has Scottish origins. I don't know. She played a character called Shawnee McLean. Oh my God! Now it's spelled M C C. Well, thank you, everyone. This has been a this has been a great podcast to do, but <laughs> I uh, I have to uh, I have to retire retire I have to retire from the podcast for not getting that one right. I didn't know that. Yeah, but I wasn't fact. in watching Baywatch for the characters. To be totally honest with you, <laughs> uh, look, this is a good movie. This is a really good movie. It's I a think great it's, movie. It's, it's limitations it's are overcome movie. by just a great directing and acting. Yeah. From certain members of the cast. Yeah, absolutely. It's good. Shout out to Andrew Davis. Yeah. Great filmmaker. Yeah. I think underrated, actually. There's a there's more depth than may meet the eye uh, in some of these films. And highly recommend the package as well. Yeah. And and uh, also, Andrew Davis directed The Fugitive. Which, which we're uh, coming to, which we're heading inexorably towards. Really quickly, I only recently learned The Fugitive was started shooting in February and was released in late July of the same year. I don't mm, know if you knew that. It was fast. three months. Yeah. They shot it. Wow. Yeah. 
Um, like they were edited, like it was crazy fast. I wonder what the production. It seems like Andrew Davis can make a movie fast. Yeah. So I'm really curious Super what the efficient. what the pace yeah, of, yeah. of this movie was. Um, yeah, I had a I had a good time. I can't. I had a really great time watching this movie. I like action movies. You know what else I like? I think I'd like would be an action film festival, but I don't think there are any. So that's kind of disappointing. That would be a shame. I wish there was an action festival in London. I wish that London, Wait a, a city that I don't live in, had one an of action festival. One of our staffers has just rushed in. Yeah, they ran it. <laughs> Guys, I've been doing research for hours. There is a They're London film festival. They're handing me a piece of paper Tell me all about this. it. Okay. The London Action Festival will take place in London uh, from Wednesday the 21st to Sunday the 25th of June of this year. Last year's festival... Featured legendary figures from the film world, including John McTiernan, mm. uh, Simon West, um, Conair, uh, director, of course, amongst many others, uh, Laura Croft, uh, Corin Hardy, who's recently been working on Gangs of London, which has got some pretty incredible that action show rules. sequences in it. I love it. that show. Uh, plus many more. Um, this year's festival promises to be bigger and bolder. Tickets are available via the website LondonActionFestival.com. So if you're an action movie fanatic like us and you live in striking distance of oh. London, oh. 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 make your way to LondonActionFestival.com and don't miss out on all the mayhem and madness. I would like to apologize for Phil Gothorn for referencing Simon West and not referencing God in 60 Seconds. What kind of... Well, I didn't reference that because it wasn't directed by Simon oh, West. Oh, no! It was directed by Dominic Senna. But what do I know? Right. <laughs> I have to go again. <laughs> All right. You want to do the uh, uh, let, Yeah, up? let's wrap up the show. Listen, um, if you've made it this far in and you like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern references in your action movie podcast, <laughs> please rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, call your drama teacher who also happens to love Die Hard and tell him to listen to the show. Uh, we're on Twitter. I'm at Liam G. Billingham. Phil, you still? Well... <laughs> Are any of us still on Twitter? But are you still on Twitter these days? Technically. Yeah. yeah. We're all technically still on Twitter. Uh, what's your handle? At Philip Gawthorne. Oh, of course. How could... Yeah. yeah. There's nothing funny it's about it. It's not at on a helicopter, unfortunately. It's not. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? You don't have to go on Twitter if you don't want to for reasons that are totally understandable. We're also on Instagram at diehardoab, and you can email us at diehardoab at gmail.com. And if you see a helicopter in the sky over LA, it's probably Phil. So just wave <laughs> it down, and, and he'll, he'll come down, and he'll, he'll get you. Next time on the show... Passenger 57... Starring the great, inimitable Wesley Snipes. It's going to be a fun one, guys. I Don't miss wait. out. Don't miss out. Uh, we'll be back next time with some new FBI guys, I guess. Die Hard on a Blank is a podcast created and hosted by Philip Gawthorne. Liam Billingham co-hosts and produces the show. Mike Mayer and Michael Sugar are the executive producers. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at DieHardOAB. Rate, review, follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Most importantly, tell your movie podcast-loving friends about Die Hard on a Blank. Special thanks to Suki Chu. See you next time on Die Hard on a Blank. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.